Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 2023 edition of Think Yourself Healthy. Super excited to have special guest Rick Olderman with us today. He is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist with more than 25 years of experience and specializes in helping people with chronic pain experience a pain-free life. Wow, that is uh, quite quite the feat that you have uh, taken upon yourself. Yeah, uh, it's it's due to necessity because there's so many people out there with chronic pain. Yeah, absolutely. I think chronic pain um, tends to be probably one of the most prevalent conditions that most people are suffering with on a daily basis. And this can really lead to uh, a plethora of other, you know, concerns, conditions for individuals, specifically really wearing on mental health when it comes to chronic pain issues. So I'm really excited to have an opportunity to chat with you. Um, So thank you so much for being with us today, Rick. And uh, take a second to just kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them who you are and what qualifies you to be able to talk about a pain-free life. Yeah, well, gosh, Heather, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you, too. So um, I I graduated, uh, you know, a little more than 25 years ago from PT school. And I soon realized, excuse me, that uh, I, I worked at a small orthopedic clinic in southwestern Colorado. And I soon realized that I did not have the tools to help anyone who had any kind of chronic pain more than three or four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like all the laws of treatment changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so acute issues, you know, in medicine, we rely on people's in, internal abilities to heal. You know, if you cut cut your finger, the skin, you know, heals, or if you break a bone, that mends. And with acute issues, we rely heavily on those processes in medicine. But after all of those things have healed, if you're having pain beyond that, we're kind of scratching our heads uh, as to what's going on and kind of throwing things against the wall to see what works. Mm -hmm. And so uh, being the basically the only therapist in that town and being a failure in helping people with chronic pain, uh, I was ashamed to even show my face in public because Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, because I just felt like I was such a failure. And I almost quit physical therapy. It sunk me into a deep depression for a couple of years until I realized that it wasn't just me that wasn't helping people with chronic pain. It was just about everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I moved here to Denver, worked at a really high-end health club, and my sk- schedule was almost instantly filled with people with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And these were people in their 30s to 50s, well-to-do, could afford ha- and have seen everyone. And no one had been able to help them, just like we must be getting something wrong here in medicine. If we're not, if there are so many people walking around with chronic pain, mm-hmm. you know, so that's when I just realized, you know, I've got to figure this out. And so I just really stepped back and rethought what we understand about pain. And uh, that's when I started unraveling all of this and putting this together over the last 20, 20, 25 years. 
Oh, exciting. Well, I'm definitely interested to pick your brain and, and you know, discover what the pillars are that you sure. have, uh, you know, pinpointed as contributors to this chronic pain that is such a prevalent condition amongst society. I specialize um, with uh, individuals suffering, you know, mental health as well as substance use. And it's really interesting to see the correlation of individuals who had some form of sports injury or an accident, some sort of acute trauma situation that led to uh, the use of pain medications that then ended up turning into bigger addictive problems. And many people, once they start the pain medications, they have difficulty with um, being able to get off them or just manage that in itself. So, so let's chat. Yeah. So, you know, pain medications, I don't think anyone uh, starts taking pain medications thinking, hey, man, I think I want to become addicted to these, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like a lot of people continue to take pain medications largely because their pain has not been resolved yet. Mm -hmm. So if they, the, a lot of people are afraid to go off pain medications because of the pain that they're going to experience if they're off of them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've had a couple of patients over the years sent to me by doctors who these patients were addicted to pain meds and we solved their pain, but they stopped coming in because then they were faced with the idea of foregoing their pain meds. Mm -hmm. And, but a lot of cases, that's not the case for a lot of these people. A lot of these people aren't getting the answers that they need. And that's why they continue because they don't want to feel pain. No one right. wants to feel pain. Right. And I, I think it's interesting, Heather, that you mentioned the pillars of pain. And over the years, I've come up with a theory, uh, an overriding theory about, you know, the, the, there are three main pillars causing most chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So we all have some threshold above which we experience pain. And so uh, there seems to be, in my opinion, three things that push us up to that threshold and beyond it. One is musculoskeletal issues, which is what I specialize in. Mm -hmm. Another is dietary, allergens, mold, things that we ingest in some way or breathe in. And the third is psychological, emotional, or spiritual issues. So some people have a combination of all three in different proportions. Some people are mostly musculoskeletal pain. Mm -hmm. But I think these, uh, the psychological and dietary issues uh, help create an inflammatory state in the body or at least a tension state in the body. That, and that tension seems to be occurring along certain patterns within the body that are pretty common across most pain profiles. So mm -hmm. that's my basic theory. And that's why we have so many books about, you know, this or that or whatever is sol solve my pain. Well, they all work and same with treatments. They all mm -hmm. work because they're honing in on the, on the, on one of those three pillars of those people's pain. Right. I love that you, I love that you just mentioned that there are many different avenues that can be taken to come to the same conclusion of a pain-free life. Mm -hmm. And I find that, that that's pretty common for most of our health ailments. Um, you know, especially as a practicing nutrition dietitian, people are constantly, you know, asking, oh, what's the best diet? Well, the reality is, is that there is no perfect diet for one individual. Everyone has very individualized needs. And so 
what may work for one isn't necessarily going to be the best approach for the other. So really taking the time to get to know individuals, what's going on in their life and their lifestyle habits can be so important at helping to, uh, you know, construct some sort of solution plan to help get them towards that pain-free life. So I love the fact. Yeah, absolutely. To, to speak to that even more, you know, even physically from an anatomical standpoint, there is so much variety from person to person. Mm-hmm. Some people have six lumbar vertebrae. Some people just have five. Some have four. Other people have extra muscles here and there in their body. And mm-hmm. the origins and insertions of those muscles vary. So there's so much variety. So it only makes sense that our internal chemistry is also varied. Mm-hmm. And our brain response to all of this is also mm-hmm. varied because our brains are individuals too. Right, right. So, you know, that's why you got to keep looking. Yeah. So an individual who's suffering with chronic pain, this has kind of become their norm, right? They've really, yes. these individuals really attach to these diagnoses of chronic pain and basically having to alter their daily life habits based upon how they wake up, how they feel that day. And this can be a challenge for many people. I know for myself, this is something that I've been struggling with over the last year since getting COVID and having to completely rehab due to long COVID circumstances and the increased inflammation that I've had in my body from these spiked proteins have led to a plethora of issues, one of them being malnutrition, specifically impacting my vitamin D. Um, my, my most recent vitamin D came back as an 11, which is very, very low, critically low. And as a result of having this very low vitamin D, it's impacting my bones. I'm having pain in my bones and in my joints like I've never experienced before. So for an individual like myself who is already, um, you know, really paying attention to the diet, to the stress management, what kind of things can I be doing to help resolve this underlying, which I'm hoping is an acute situation that doesn't turn into a more chronic circumstance. So as a professional, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, it, I'm going to back up to answer that question just a little uh-huh. bit in that uh, fundamentally how we're trained in medicine does not address chronic issues. Mm-hmm. And here's why. So the gold standard for inclusion in medical research are double-blind studies. And in double-blind studies, uh, what happens is they have to isolate portions of the body in order to study that joint, that cell, that muscle tissue, whatever, that pharmacological agent that they're testing, you have to be able to uh, isolate it and test it to know what effect your intervention is having. Mm -hmm. So, however, so things that can't fit that mold of type of research aren't included in research Mm -hmm. and therefore aren't found by other practitioners. Mm -hmm. The way that we're trained in physical therapy school is to think, Okay, shoulder joint pain. Okay, let's look at that shoulder joint and see what tissues could possibly be hurting there or back pain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're taught a thousand different tests to identify what specific tissue is damaged or injured. There are zero tests that identify why those tissues are damaged or injured. And so 
the the whys are found not in this component thinking approach that we're trained in, but a systems approach that I've developed over these past 25 years, because I've had to barely back out and look at our and think about our body, how it operates as a system musculoskeletally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than just these component ideas. So those people who you mentioned at the beginning of your question who are dealing with chronic pain, you know, all of their practitioners are looking at them from a fundamentally different perspective than I would look at them that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, in medicine, the more people have been around a lot of different practitioners, it's a red flag, right? You're like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a really difficult person to, to help. A- absolutely the opposite when people would walk into my clinic because I knew exactly how they've been looked at prior mm-hmm. to seeing me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they were going to respond to a system's point of view. And so really this is the, the to me, in, in my experience with dealing with chronic pain, uh, you know, this is what people have been missing. And that's why it's, that's why I never lose hope for people with chronic pain because they mm-hmm. haven't tried a systems approach yet. And right. so the component thinking approach that we're trained in works really well for acute issues, right? but it's just not applicable to chronic issues. Right. That's why there are chronic issues because mm-hmm. they haven't been addressed as systems issues. Right. I love the fact that you use this um, example of the system. You know, the truth is, is that we're really being compartmentalized. We're being looked at as a machine that has individual parts and we can focus on the part and that should fix the problem. But the reality is, is that these are very integrated systems. They're all connected. We can't just look at one part without taking into consideration how whatever that modality is, is going to potentially have an impact on another part of the system. Exactly. And and here's the thing. It may sound like, oh, gosh, a systems approach, that's going to be really complicated. No, it simplifies things. Mm-hmm. When you understand how it all works as a system, it's like throwing a pebble in a pond and getting the ripple effect throughout the whole system of that pond. Right. That's what a, solving p- pain from a systems approach does. Small changes make enormous uh, differences in the body. Mm-hmm. And so if you want, for instance, one of the common, most common uh, types of cr- chronic pain is back pain. If you want, I can take you through a little example of what exactly I'm talking about. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So most people experience at some time in their life, chronic back pain. And if you have this now, if you're wrestling with chronic back or sciatic pain, do this test I'm about to take you through because it's going to help you understand a fundamental cause of your back pain. So we're going to have everyone lie down on their backs on the floor. And I say the floor because a firm surface is better than a soft surface. Okay. If you're the type of person who can't get on the floor, then go ahead and do it on your couch, do it on your bed. It doesn't matter. Just do the test. Lie down on the floor on your back with your legs straight and even just take your hand and put it underneath your low back a little bit and feel the space underneath that low back. Get a sense for how comfortable or uncomfortable your back is, the tension that you're feeling in that back right now. Okay. now that you've done that, now I want you to bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor. And you should feel a change in the discomfort in your back. It should mm-hmm. be, actually, 90, 99% of the people will say that it feels better. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel a change, then go ahead and hug those knees up to your chest and hold them with your hands and see if your back feels better like this. Chances are almost everyone listening to me will say, oh, yeah, my back feels a lot better when my knees are bent than mm-hmm. when they're straight. Okay, so what's the difference between these two positions? Well, one is that when your legs are straight, your back is more arched. 
and therefore your back is hurting more. When your knees are bent, your back is flatter and therefore is hurting less. But that's not the whole picture. So we're gonna give you one more part of this test so you can understand really what's going on here. So now everyone stand up and listen to the rest of this podcast. And I want you to notice that uh, once you stand up, if you've listened for maybe a minute or two, you'll notice that your knees are starting to lock backwards, okay? This is an energy conservation move. Now we don't have to use our muscles to hold us up. Now we just get to use our joints. So notice that this is probably happening in you. And if it's not happening in both knees, it's probably happening in one where you're shifting from one leg to the other, right? Mm -hmm. And locking that knee out. So now let's go ahead and, and if you're not doing it, go ahead and lock your knees, all right? And feel what your back feels like in this position. Now I want you to just suddenly unlock your knees. You don't have to squat, but just unlock them and feel what just happened to your back there. And if you're not sure, lock your knees one more time and you'll feel that when your knees are locking, you're arching your back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what have we learned here? We've learned that when your back is arched, it doesn't feel as good, all right? And when your knees are bent, it feels better. Mm-hmm. And we've also learned that when you stand, if you stand for anything longer than a minute or two, you're locking your knees out to conserve energy. And this is likely happening when you're walking too. Most okay. people walk with locked knees. Oh, interesting. So, and when we lock our knees, our back arches more. So this is how something that is an unconscious behavior that we have adopted is feeding our back pain. Mm-hmm. So what I have, for people with this pattern of pain, what I get them to do is just unlock their knees for two or three days. I'll put a little piece of tape on the backs of their knees to remind them. Okay. And so in two or three days, you would be surprised that probably 50% of back pain has disappeared just by unlocking the knees from this simple equation, all right? So this is what a systems approach is looking at. It's not only looking at the tissue. I mean, it would be easy to say, oh yeah, your discs are pinched. Mm -hmm. No, uh, that's not what's causing your pain because a lot of people have pinched discs and have no pain. Mm -hmm. Really what it is is your behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been figuring out these last 25 years is how these behaviors are contributing to these common patterns of pain that we have. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And as you're walking me through this whole um, practice, my brain is going to all of my days of bartending. And I'm sitting there thinking and feeling exactly what I felt in those moments of standing behind, you know, that that counter for, for long hours and specifically going into a very locked position to balance my weight to be as comfortable as possible. And ironically enough, majority of the pain that I have on my body all resides within the right side from starting with my foot all the way up to this is where I hold most of the tension in my shoulder. And as a as a young child, um, I had a lot of younger brothers, and this happens to be the side of the body that I carried them, locked my hip on, and drugged them around for many, many years. So it's interesting as you're, you know, walking us through this whole um, practice, all of this is flooding back to me going, oh, this is making so much sense now. Well, can I put something together for your specific example A- then? Absolutely. Okay, Heather. So that was one pattern of pain, all right? And so that pattern of pain, I call an extension problem, where there's too much arch in the back or the back is too extended. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that the back is too arched, it's that you have too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. 
So where are those forces coming from? Well, the, the standing and lying down exercise taught us that those forces are actually coming from your legs. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the muscles, the thigh muscles, when they become tight, they tend to pull that pelvis forward mm. and arch the back more. Mm-hmm. Even if your back isn't arched more, just the act of pulling the pelvis forward is causing stress, that pattern of stress to your back. Okay, so what you just described for your own case is what you probably have a right side bending problem. Is it your right side? It is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so, and I could, te- I could check that out for you right now if you wanted to. Oh yeah. But basically, Let's... yeah. So this is this is the pattern that's behind most unilateral back pain. Mm-hmm. Back pain on one side of the back, or sciatic pain, or SI mm-hmm. joint pain. Okay. So what happens is the pelvis is higher on that side, mm-hmm. and the rib cage is typically lower on that side. And this is what I call a side bending problem. All right. Yep, I got that. And yeah. you can see it physically with my rib cage. Like oh, if yeah. I <laughs> Oh, I, I bet I could see it in a, yes. in a heartbeat. Yes. So typically, and if you're not sure if you have this, go ahead and take off your shirt. Have someone take a picture of your back. Mm-hmm. And most people who have had this for a while will have a, a bigger crease on the side bending side than they do on the other side. Okay. And it's usually that crease is going to happen on the side that's painful for them. Uh And that's because of this. Mm -hmm. So when you're in this pattern where one side of your pelvis is higher and the same side of ribcage is lower, you can imagine that it's compressing the nerve roots on this side of your back. Yeah. Some of those nerve roots are comprising your sciatic nerve. Okay. So, and that will contribute to sciatic pain. But also what it does is it creates a rotational torque in the pelvis that will cause SI joint pain as well. Mm. So this is what's really interesting about what you just said. You feel it all the way from your foot all the way up to your head. Yes. So this pattern, let's say a right side bending pattern, uh-huh. why is this happening in the first place? It's usually due to some older unresolved injury on that same side of the body. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling something in your foot, chances are you might have some old foot or ankle injury that hasn't been resolved well. Mm-hmm. So what happens is over time, your brain starts hiking this pelvis up because it's trying to get off that old injury, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's tapping into a very deep and uh, a, a very deep reflex that we're all born with called a withdrawal reflex or trauma reflex pattern. And so our brain over time pulls that pelvis up because it says, ah, I don't really like stepping on that leg. Let me mm-hmm. just get it off there a little bit, right? It makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the same muscles that are pulling the pelvis up are attached to the rib cage. Well, that then pulls the rib cage down. Or you've developed mm-hmm. some weakness in that hip that causes that whole side to collapse, mm-hmm. all right? So this is the root of the cause of your sciatic SI joint or unilateral back pain. Right. Now, how does that relate up to the head, though? Mm-hmm. Well, the center of function for the upper body system is the shoulder blade. You can, if you look at the architecture of that shoulder blade, it's broad and flat, yes. just like one of our pelvic bones. We know that our pelvis is the center of function for our lower body and back system. Same thing for scapula for the upper body and neck system. So what happens is this shoulder blade has significant muscle attachments into the neck bones and the base of the skull. Mm. So when there's dysfunction happening here, it stresses one of those connectors, which is the levator scapula, which is a little t- pinky muscle down here, that inserts into C1 through 4. Okay, so if we believe that the muscles attaching from the shoulder blade that insert into the neck and head are causing uh, neck pain and headaches, and we, I can show you a really easy test to determine this. Mm-hmm. 
knowing that the shoulder blade rests on the rib cage then is the next clue because now if your pelvis is up and your rib cage is lower now you've offset the lower shoulder blade to be lower too mm -hmm. which is then going to stress those connections from the scapula into the neck and head even more that's how it's all connected from the foot all the way to the top of the head Makes total sense. And then to top it all off, I have extremely weak glutes. And so, uh. then, <laughs> and so then on top of that, it definitely um, contributes everything that you were talking about is relatable. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Yes. You, yeah. Very easily solved, by the way. Very easily. We can I'm solve listening. the typing problem in about 30 seconds. Okay. Tell me more. Okay. So if you let's 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 say that you have a right side bending problem. I do. All you have to do is put your hand on top of your head or up in the air. Okay. And walk around for 10 steps. Okay. So what you're doing is you're breaking up the gait pattern that's contributing to this side bending problem. Okay. By having the arm up, now the rib cage can't fall. Okay. And if the rib cage can't fall, it's going to force the hip muscles to work the way they're supposed to work. Because mm -hmm. when the hip rib cage is falling it's accommodating the hip weakness does that make sense yes so literally if you walk with that arm up in the air for 10 steps you'll mm -hmm. find and you it, let's say you measure your pelvis before and and rib cage before and then after mm -hmm. it will level it off completely wow yeah that is so how how often do you recommend I walk around with my arm up to try and get this because just having my arm in this position I can feel all of the tension Yes. in that part of the shoulder and it, it so, almost feels kind of good <laughs> yeah it should so you if and if that feels like a bad tension you can just put your hand on top of your head so for right? me i think it feels less tension to have it straight up versus the the yeah this position exactly because mm -hmm. the angle of the humerus or the upper arm bone is different right yeah now it's higher now it's lower yeah so it's not stressing the shoulder joint as much right right yeah okay so you're asked how long how often do you have to do that well mm -hmm. you do it until you fix the reason why that's happening in the first place uh, right okay. which is that old ankle knee or hip issue mm -hmm. okay or perhaps it's that your butt muscles are turning off okay well, it doesn't surprise me that your butt muscles are turning off because anyone who locks their knees their butt muscles are turning off yeah all right yeah so anyway you'll do this until those issues are fixed but really this comes down to a gait problem. It comes down to a problem with how you're walking. Mm -hmm. If your walking pattern is off because of some old injury, well, we have to fix that old injury to really solve this long term. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So what I'm hearing you say is that ultimately it starts with awareness, right? Having awareness around where the potential root cause is. Yes. And so once we have that awareness, then we have to break up the subconscious habit pattern. And by shifting the body into a different position, that can be the pattern interrupt to start getting us into a corrected state. Is that correct? Is That's that what correct. I'm can I take you through a little example of yes. changing that unconscious pattern? Yes, okay. please. So this is harder than you might think, but I'm going to show you what's what's at stake, what's going on here with your brain. Okay, okay. So I want everyone to clasp their fingers together as if they're praying. Okay. All right, now look down and see which thumb is on top. Which thumb is it for you, Heather? For me, it's the left. Left thumb, okay. So everyone has looked and see which thumb is on top. Now I want you to look up from your hand, look straight ahead, unclasp them, 
and reclass them with the opposite thumb on top this time. Oh, oh, okay. Exactly. You had to practice a little bit. Yeah, now, it feels sure really weird. <laughs> it feels really weird. So this is, keep your hands like this for a little while while I explain what's going on here. Okay. So you, Heather, had you had to try a couple times to get it right. Mm -hmm. And then I, I saw you sneak a peek down there yes. to make sure that you got it right because <laughs> yes. you weren't sure. And this, your hand is right in front of your face, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's face it, your hands are pretty well connected to your brain. Right. So if you can't control this simple change, think of what the rest of your body's like. <laughs> right. Okay. So there's a couple of different things going on right now. One is that your brain is giving you an alert that says, hey, you're doing something different than what you've been telling me that I should be doing. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Then that's something else is going on though, too. The other alert in your brain is saying, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. So you're passing a judgment on something that is different, but your brain doesn't yet know that that different thing could be exactly what you need to solve your pain. Mm -hmm. Your brain doesn't know how to solve your pain until you teach it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And until you teach and change, identify and change these unconscious habits, your brain is going to say, no, 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 that's wrong. Nope, can't do that. That's not the way you've taught me to do it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be ready when you, when you look at these habits that you've ingrained in your brain and body over the years, you've got to be ready for alerts to come up that say something is different. Mm -hmm. And you've got to not judge those differences. In fact, in the beginning, if your brain is telling you something is different, it's probably a good thing mm -hmm. because the normal way that you've been using your body is really probably what's hurting you. Yeah. Man, Rick, this is like my brain is going crazy over here because as I'm hearing you talk, I, my brain's going to this place of this is why medication or meditation and like things like yoga and breathing can be so challenging for individuals because it's not part of that subconscious integration of their normal daily habits. And so by trying to engage in those kind of like just just sitting here having my thumb over the opposite, I'm like, well, this is really weird. This is this is very different. Yeah. And there's <laughs> so, a judgment aspect to that, too. Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get out of this. Yeah. When will he tell me I can unclass my face? Right. Yeah. So now I'm going to have to make more of a consci conscious effort to do the opposite of what my natural state is. Yeah. So what is your natural state? Well, we already talked about one of those things, locking your knees. Mm -hmm. Many people lock their knees and it's an unconscious habit. Yeah. And so, you know, me telling you to unlock your knees isn't likely going to be enough. Right. That's why I say I put pieces of tape on the backs of people's knees so that when they straighten them, they get feedback from the tape. And they're just like, oh, yeah, there. And you wouldn't believe when the people come back in the class. They're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much I've been locking my knees. Yeah. And now that they haven't. Wow. My back feels so much better you wow. know, because of it. Yeah. So for the average person who comes to see you and you do this little experiment or exercise with the tape. On average, how quickly can a person become consciously aware of this habit and have the ability to pattern interrupt as soon as they recognize they're doing it? Almost within a day. Wow. And this is, this is why, Heather, is because not only do they recognize that the pattern is happening, but they recognize that their back feels better when they're not engaging in that pattern. Right. That's the motivation, mm -hmm. right? that keeps them on top of this habit.
Mm-hmm. And this is why, you know, I, I hear a lot of physical therapists say, oh, patients just never do the exercises I give them. Well, that's because you haven't given them exercises that solve their pain. Right. They don't understand the connection between their pain and what you're telling them to do. Mm-hmm. Likely because it's not really solving the pain. Right. So this is why, you know, I do test retest with all my patients with everything. Is your pain better after doing this exercise? Yes. Okay. We're going to do that exercise. And then ding, ding, ding. The light bulb goes off in their head and they say, yeah, because when I do it, I'm going to feel better. Mm-hmm. And if an exercise doesn't inc- improve their pain and I can't modify it to make it work, then I say, you know what? We're going to come back to this one. I just want to give you the things that are absolutely going to help you. Mm-hmm. So if it's two exercises, anyone can do two exercises, right? you know? So that's the thing that we're missing in PT is that we just tend to throw things at people. Mm-hmm. I've had people come in with, you know, binders full of hundreds of exercises. Oh, this is what the, I'm just like, are you doing all of these things? And there's like, oh yeah, all of these physical therapists and chiropractors and everyone has had me do all that. And why are you here then? Right. Oh, because I hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, then we're going to throw all of these exercises out. <laughs> So and now the person your... feels immediately relieved. I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I just had like ten pounds of weight come off my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh wow! I don't have to do that for an hour every day. No, right. you don't because it's not working. Here's why you're having pain, and then we fix the systems. So oh, wow, I, I'm I'm really <laughs> impressed. I mean, you have just walked me th- through something that was what was feeling so complex. Feels very simplified and manageable. Like I'm sitting here thinking, I can walk around like this. I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Oh, that'll make your head and neck feel better, but it'll also solve likely this right-sided pain that you're having. (laughs) But ultimately, you've got to fix the reason why that pattern's happening. Then you won't have to do this. Right. 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 But I think just... Being able to do this yeah. brings awareness that, oh, there's something deeper here that I have to investigate and look into. So yeah. for most people, by the time that their body is presenting this pain, that's usually the the red flag, right? That's being waved yes. to say, hey, you're not paying attention. You're disconnected to X, Y, Z, and we've got to resolve this issue. So in my opinion, this is where the pain continues to get more and more prevalent until it either debilitates us and puts us in a position where we have to address it. But unfortunately, it seems as if all of the ways we're being directed to relieve the chronic pain are not the actual solutions to get to the root cause. Yeah. Think of it like this. If, if you're at your parents' house and you drop food on the floor and left it there, your parents would say, hey, you dropped food on the floor. Can you, can you pick that up? And then uh, if you just kept walking over that food, your parents going to say, hey, I said, pick that food up. And pretty soon it's going to be a yelling match. Right. So that's what pain is. Mm-hmm. Pain is your parent trying to teach you that something is wrong about your body. Mm-hmm. And if you solve that thing, you'll no longer get yelled at anymore. Mm-hmm. And this the is... pain is happening right now, just like that food that's on the floor that you haven't picked up yet. Mm-hmm. Until you pick the food up, that parent isn't going to stop yelling. Right. And that's what we're missing with component thinking. This is so interesting because this the other thing that keeps coming up for me is that this is all isolated to the right side of my body, which for me, 
has a spiritual type of meaning and purpose to it as well. And, and the conclusion that I have come to personally is that I really lean into my masculine type of habits of trying to control and trying to perfect and being a problem solver. And so that was one of the correlations I had with all of this, particularly residing in the right side of my body. So can you talk a little bit about this spiritual component earlier, you know, when we started this conversation and we were talking about the systems, this was one of the systems that you had mentioned that could potentially be out of alignment that is contributing to these pain problems. Would you speak a little bit more about that for me? Yeah, but before I do that, and I promise I will, uh, you, you used a term called, I lean into it. Yes. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So I want to show you something about leaning into something. Okay. Or leaning away from something. Okay. More often. So you're sitting down right now. And if Correct. folks, if you're sitting at home, you know, do this test sitting. And if you're standing, then do it standing. It doesn't matter. So put your hand on your waist muscles at your sides. Should my right? legs be crossed or uncrossed? No, it, it'll be easier if they're uncrossed. Okay. So... So, and if you're just standing there, just stand there normally and have your hands on your waist muscles. They should feel a little squishy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, uh, most people with, let's say, right pain, you've got Mm -hmm. right pain, right, Mm -hmm. Heather? Correct. So unconsciously, your brain's saying, you know what? I think I want to get off of that. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you're, if you shift over to the left side, Mm -hmm. shift your weight over to that left hip, you'll notice that the right waist muscles contract more. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the muscles that's pulling up your pelvis and pulling down your rib cage. Okay. And if you shift over to your right side, you'll feel your right waist muscles engage less and your mm-hmm. left waist muscles engage more. Mm-hmm. So the counterintuitive lesson here is that you've got to lean into that painful side if you have a side bending problem because it's going to relax the muscles that are causing the side bending problem in the first place. Mm. But our brain says, no, I have to get off of that because it hurts. So your solution to get off of that pain is actually digging you into a deeper hole. This makes a lot of sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's go on to the idea of psychological, emotional, or spiritual issues Mm -hmm. causing pain. Because I think this is a really fascinating one. And I described the pathway I'm about to describe in my back pain book. But... Um, have you ever heard of Thomas Myers? Do you know what fascia is? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Thomas Myers is a fascial researcher and he identified certain super highways of fascia that run through our bodies. Mm -hmm. One runs along the back of our bodies from the head all the way down to the bottoms of the feet. And then there's another that runs down along the side. There's another, a couple that run in the front. There's a rotational pattern. So fascia is connective tissue in the body. It connects everything to everything, muscles to muscles, muscles to bones. It holds our guts in place, everything. Mm -hmm. And in our body, in areas of mechanical stress, there's a certain type of fascia that's laid down called myofibroblasts that have four times the contractile capacity of normal fascia. Okay. And what that is laid down, I think, is to help brace that system to undergo that mechanical stress that it's under. Okay. Okay. So uh, it turns out that when we become upset, so fascia it doesn't respond to neurological input. It responds to chemical input. Okay. Cytokines that okay. travel through our bloodstream, which are like hormones. Think mm-hmm. of them like hormones, you know, just kind of circulating through our bodies. Mm-hmm. So when we're under stress, what happens is 
our, our brain uh, releases a cytokine called transforming growth factor beta one. Okay. So this is circulating in our bloodstream and it tends to cause the myofibroblast to contract. Okay. So if the myofibroblasts are laid down in areas of mechanical stress in our body and we're under stress, mm -hmm. those areas then are contracting up to four times greater than the other areas of our body because they're responding to that TGF beta one and they're in the areas of mechanical stress, which is one of the reasons I think why, you know, we tend to feel pain up like in this neck area is one of the areas of mechanical stress. And any kind anytime when there's a, a reversal of curvature in the mm -hmm. body is an area of mechanical stress. Okay. So uh, that's so when we're stressed or emotionally traumatized or spiritually struggling, that stress is circulating through our blood, bloodstream and is honing in on these areas of mechanical tension. Okay. It's also additionally, I believe, uh, contracting the other fascia as well along the whole pattern, mm -hmm. but it's more centered on these mechanical areas as well. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, for you, you definitely helped me have a better understanding that these muscles aren't necessarily responding to the actual nervous system, that it's the chemicals that are being released from the perception of stress that the brain, you know, is perceiving that it's under. So that that's a pretty huge piece for me to um, unlock that. That makes a lot of sense. That's my theory from putting together all this research that I've been mm -hmm. uncovering over the years. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone say, hey, this is the pathway. Right. This is what I believe the pathway is. Well, and I think that, you know, as a practitioner myself, I think that this is where we have to just kind of trust that intuitive knowing, that information that's coming forth to us. And, you know, we've been so conditioned to show me the evidence, show me the research, and unfortunately, I think that this has done quite a disservice to us, especially with detaching us or disconnecting us from that sixth sense, that intuitive knowing that um, we could all definitely use to strengthen that relationship. Most of us are just so disconnected from our physical beings that we aren't paying attention and listening to all the cues, all the signals, all the flags that the body is giving us on a regular basis that our attention is needed. Yeah. And, and can I take this one step further? Please do. All right. So we have these fascial patterns that go from our head to our toe in different areas of the body and the myofibroblasts, which are laid down in areas of mechanical stress. So why else why might we have mechanical stress to these areas? It's because of how we use our bodies. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing that I've also been figuring out these last 20 years is how we're using, for instance, locking the knees when you're standing and walking is engaging this whole line of fascia mm -hmm. along the whole back line here. Mm -hmm. And so and more specifically, it's going to engage those myofibroblasts in the lumbar area where we just when we did the test, we just felt that it was arching more. Right. right because we mm -hmm. were locking our knees. Well, part of that engagement is not only muscle engagement, but it's fascial engagement as well. Mm -hmm. So how we're using our bodies is causing these certain lines of fascia to become even more constricted and mm -hmm. resistant to change. Mm -hmm. And so contributing to larger patterns of dysfunction in the body. Wow. This is, this is kind of a, an alarming conversation for me as we're sitting here and this is trans, you know, transpiring. I'm sitting here thinking we're kind of pioneers in a sense of, uh, almost this new 
way of using our bodies by not using our bodies, right? Mm. Because the reality is, is that over the last 40, 50, 60 years, our habits and behaviors as technology has advanced have shifted significantly, and we are under utilizing our physical bodies immensely. We have dysregulated all of our normal patterns, our movement patterns, our eating patterns, our sleep patterns. So the reality is, is we're kind of pioneering on this whole new surface of we have completely detached from the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just our, um, our innate patterns. We have just completely detached from these innate patterns and we're going to have to do something significant in order to correct this pathway that we're on, or it's going to be pretty problematic. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, the brain and body love movement. Mm-hmm. And the brain and body are one. Mm-hmm. What happens to your brain happens to your body. And what Absolutely. happens to your body happens to your brain. Absolutely. We have a somatosensory cortex in our brain that is mapping the entire body on our brain. Mm-hmm. So they're inextricably linked. And so the less we use our body, it's, you know, it's changing our brain, and right. not for the better. Right. right? Yeah, And so we don't have, I, I once treated a woman for a rotator cuff tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a receptionist who typed at her computer and she was going away on vacation. And when she put her luggage up in the overhead bin to leave for the beach, she tore her rotator cuff. Oh no. Because she had never prepared her body to move like that. Wow. All the movement was below shoulder height. Mm-hmm. She didn't work out or anything like that or do any kind of recreational exercise. And mm-hmm. so- her body was not prepared for that simple movement. Wow. And that's why just a little bit of movement, you, you don't have to change your whole world, just a little, go out for a walk, you know, right. but walk yeah. with your knees unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think uh, is something well, I'm going to have to be more aware of. <laughs> yeah. So, so go out for a walk. I mean, it can be so simple. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, we have so many individuals who are suffering with depression and anxiety right now. They're seeking mental health. Um, alternatives as a way to relieve the depression and the anxiety. And one of the simplest things that individuals can do to help reduce depression and anxiety is just move their bodies. Many people are unaware that when we're not moving our bodies, we're not utilizing amino acids that are necessary to support muscle contraction and muscle movement. And therefore, our brains are competing against those amino acids that should be utilized through movement to be converted into neurotransmitters to help support our mood and our motivation and our, you know, all of those behaviors and habits. So just moving the body can help support mental health by depleting a lot of those amino acids that are competing against the neurotransmitters to help support our mood. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people would say, but it hurts when I move. Mm -hmm. Okay, do all forms of movement hurt? You know, what about a recumbent bike mm-hmm. and just moving really slowly and, and moving those feet and make them go around in little circles? Does that hurt too? Mm-hmm. What if you just walked in a pool? Would that hurt? I mean, your, your joints are completely unloaded. So start with something that doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Or if it's going to hurt, hurts the least amount possible. Right. We've got to start somewhere to break this cycle of disuse and pain. 
because they're feeding each other. Yeah, I love this. I absolutely love that you bring this up because you are so right. That is the biggest rebuttal from individuals is, but I have too much pain to move my body. So really, it's a matter of first determining, having the awareness to recognize where the pain is isolated, and then being able to set realistic expectations. Most of us have these grand expectations of what we can achieve in a short time. So being able to manipulate that and set those into a more realistic place based on what we can tolerate is a step in the right direction is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, almost all lower body pain, including low back pain, has a large part to do with how you're how you're walking. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people come to me and they say, but I walk for three miles a day and I, I seem to always have pain. And I said, but you're not walking well, you know. And so when I so their walking is actually contributing to their pain because mm -hmm. it's not controlling their body the way it should a normal gait pattern should and so okay. when i teach them how to walk correctly now let's say if you walk ten thousand steps a day you're you're feeding your back or at least removing ten thousand hammers on your back mm -hmm. every step of the way throughout the day you mm -hmm. wouldn't believe how much better that feels because your poor walking habits are hammering your back or your hips or your knees or your feet or whatever that is mm -hmm. Man. So tell me, how can people work with you? Can you can individuals that don't live in Colorado, can they get a consultation from you or do you have to be in Colorado to work with you? Oh, sure. I, I in fact, I sold my clinic uh, earlier this year. Congrats. Because, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, a, as you can imagine, I just got fed up with insurance. Yeah. And then B, I just felt like um, I was just so many people from all over the world were had just started reaching out and I created these home programs and stuff. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to make the world my clinic instead of just this little brick and mortar store. Yeah. And so, yes, I do telehealth visits with okay. people. We can get a lot done. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, if my guy has sent you the Calendly link to that, but I no. have a, a Calendly.com um, link okay. that you can schedule an appointment for me. So, okay. yes. But I've I've created the home programs uh, recently because, you know, you shouldn't need my eye. Not everyone needs my eyes on them. Right. And, and a lot of people who have chronic pain have just spent thousands of dollars on, you know, either surgeries or supplements or, you know, medications or, you know, procedures or things like that. So I, I create a really uh, I'm not supposed to use the word cheap, but they're very affordable. <laughs> Uh, downloadable home programs because the patterns that are causing most people, this is what I learned in my clinic these last 10 years, is that uh, someone would come to me with back pain and another person would come to me with sciatic pain, another person with SI joint pain, but it was all the same pattern of dysfunction causing mm -hmm. all of it because mm -hmm. it all fell along that same fascial pattern right. that, that we were just talking about earlier. And so the same thing, so how it's, the same pattern is manifesting as different pain in different people, depending on their injury history, their mm -hmm. genetics, their exercise history, their work habits, their psychological state, you mm -hmm. know, their dietary, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff changes how that pattern is going to manifest in one person versus another. Right. So that's that's so my home programs address the patterns that are causing everyone's pain, ah. including walking patterns and things mm -hmm. like that. 
Okay. So, uh, so that's how I can make them simple and uh, easy to follow. Fabulous. So where can the audience find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, if, if you just go to www.rickolderman.com, uh, it has all of my uh, downloadable home programs. I've, I've created an online training program for mm-hmm. anyone from coaches up to surgeons, because mm-hmm. I think anyone who deals with people with pain and movement needs to understand how this body is supposed to work to both create and fix pain. And then um, I've got a new book coming out early next, well, this year. <laughs> it's hard to believe, so, right? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, there are some chapters you can read from it and you can pre-order it there. I'd love to be the first physical therapist who is on the New York Times bestsellers list. We can make that <laughs> happen, my friend. I think that people are really you know, seeking alternative solutions. They're sick of the pain meds. They're sick of having yeah. to go to their constant physical therapy with their hour you know, worth of yes. exercises every single night. So I think that people are desperate desperate and they're looking for solutions outside of the t- you know typical systems approach that we have become so accustomed to that aren't getting us the results that we desire. So I really yeah. applaud you. I applaud your your ability to go against the grain and really focus on the root cause to help, you know, um get people the the relief that they are so desperate for so that their quality of life can increase immensely just through their daily habits. That's such a beautiful well, gift to give others. Thank you. Can I can I speak to the root cause for just yes, a second? Yes, absolutely. Please do. All right. So uh, one of the things that I've learned, uh, so I was at one of the courses early on in my career that helped get me on this road to understanding systems. Okay. And I, I became friends with another physical therapist who was taking the very same course as I was. And at the end of all of these courses, it was like over the course of a year or something like that. I said, I ran into him and I said, hey, how's this working for you? And uh, he says, eh. And I said, what do you, what do you mean, eh? This is like solving chronic pain. I mean, it's like amazing. And he says, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist, so I might just use this as a home program. And that's when I realized that all of us practitioners filter the information that we receive through our belief systems. Mm -hmm. This person believed that he should be able to solve all pain by manipulating a joint or massaging muscles or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized that, that's when I wrote my books 10 or 15 years ago, because I was trying to do an end around all of these practitioners whose belief systems don't include systems thinking. Right. And it's not surprising that they don't include systems thinking because they've never been trained in systems thinking, right? right? We've only been trained to think component thinking works. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so, you know, learning all of the people that people have, all the practitioners that people have tried already have may understand their component thinking approach very well. Mm -hmm. But if you're in pain, it means that you, you're missing something. Your Mm -hmm. body's trying to tell you something's wrong. Right. I tell you, I mean, I, I, I'm not allowed to say 100% of the time, but 99.9% of the time, it's because you're missing a systems approach to, to understanding why you're in pain. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with a person, he says, well, what's the difference between acute and chronic pain? Well, some person came up with the idea that, you know, any pain over three months is chronic pain. What? I have no idea what the, why that is. But I, I tend to think of chronic pain as a prolonged acute 
condition mm -hmm. that has never been resolved. Right. And so that acute condition can last decades. Mm -hmm. If you haven't fixed your broken ankle, why would you ever expect it to be resolved five years from now? Right. So that's what chronic pain is. And I, I've just seen it so many times. Solve that acute condition mm -hmm. and pain goes away. Mm -hmm. Well, I know myself, I'm definitely interested in booking a consultation with you so that I can get to the root cause of everything that I have been experiencing on this right side. Because um, over the last three years, specifically with the beginning of the pandemic, um, that's where I've really started to see a consistent persistence in these symptoms. And I know that stress obviously uh, has a root in all of it. Um, but just to get your professional opinion and very specific um, exercises or, you know, strategies that I can start to implement to resolve the problem. Um, I'm I ready. I tell you. I am I'm, ready. I'm happy, I'm happy to see you, you know, via telehealth, but I'm telling you everything I will tell you mm -hmm. is already in my home programs. Okay. All uh, right. I have not had a telehealth visit with anyone yet and that give me something that is not in my home program. Okay. Already. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty amazing to be able to, uh, you know, state. So I, I truly appreciate that. <laughs> sure. Well, Rick, it has really been such a pleasure having an opportunity to pick your brain, to chat with you about pain today. You are an extreme wealth of knowledge. I love the fact that you are thinking outside of the traditional systems that have been implemented to typically, you know, provide the assistance and support that individuals seek. So I commend you for your efforts, for your persistence in staying true to the cause and getting to that root issue so that people can start living pain-free lives. Thank you so oh, much. My for, pleasure, Heather. Thank you. It's truly been a blessing. Um, and everyone, make sure you jump on Rick's website at www.rickolderman.com to get access to all of those regimens he has created so that we can start living a pain-free life. Yeah, and if you type in fixing you, all one mm -hmm. word, F-I-X-I-N-G-Y-O-U, you'll get a 20% discount on whatever you Woo! buy. Well, God knows in this inflated times, we can definitely use the any any discount possible, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, Rick, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting with you more. Um, I'd love to have another conversation and dive even deeper into this if you're open to Anytime. that. Anytime. Anytime. Excellent. Man. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor, and if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at HeatherBarbieriRDN for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.